So can you talk about what the problem is and why and how the Upcycled Food Association was founded? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big problem. And so, you know, you might think that maybe, oh, I don't waste a lot of food. We're a really efficient food supply chain. We're not wasting. It's actually not what's happening. Shockingly, in the U.S. alone, where we waste nearly 40% of all the food that's produced, and that's from the farm level all the way into our own kitchens. And that represents about 8% of global greenhouse gases. Welcome to the Brands for a Better World podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories behind people and products, building a more just, healthy, and regenerative future for us all. Tune in weekly, and together, we'll learn why these better products and brands were created, how they're helping fix broken systems, and what you can do to support them. My hope is that you'll discover some new brands to love and get some sparks of inspiration that will help you live your best life. Hi, I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder of Modern Species a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow to scale their impact. This podcast is one way we do that. If you like the show, please help it grow by leaving ratings and reviews on your podcast app and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Maybe this will be one of them. This episode is part of a 2023 impact-driven gift guide series where we're digging deeper into some of the impact certifications we chose to feature in this year's guide so you have a better understanding of what they each mean and how they're helping make the world better. To get your copy of the gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. This episode's guest is Angie Crone, CEO of Upcycled Food Association, and we're talking about the upcycled certification that you'll see in our gift guide why solving the food waste problem is ranked as the top solution for climate change, and how innovative food brands are creating nutritious and delicious products that allow you to be part of the solution simply by choosing Upcycled. We then wrap up with a fun, gift-themed rapid-fire question segment at the end. Enjoy. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm Angie Crone. I am the CEO of the Upcycled Food Association. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Angie. I'm a huge fan of the Upcycled Food Association and just the Upcycled Food movement in general, not only because it's one of the top, maybe even number one solution for climate change, which I know a lot of us humans out there are hoping we can resolve so we can continue to exist, (laughs) but it's also just because it just makes sense, right? Like, why waste a bunch of food that's perfectly good? It's preserving food or or using leftover scrap byproducts, all that kind of stuff is just what cultures have been doing since the beginning of time. And now we're just applying that to business where those practices got lost because of trying to be efficient, we became really inefficient, right? Granted, there's a whole food waste problem in the homes and stuff too that we could dive into later. But but what I love is that this is businesses getting on the page, on the same page that cultures have been on from the beginning of time. So let's just start with the most basic definition for anyone out there who does, doesn't know anything about the food waste problem or what upcycling is. How do you describe what upcycled food is to those folks? Yeah. So upcycled food is basically taking ingredients that would have otherwise been wasted. So think about the leftovers in food manufacturing at the plant surplus in the field, the ugly fruits and vegetables, all these byproducts that are along the supply chain and giving them a second life. So recognizing them for their nutritional value and also their economic value. 
And so you can think of it just as you might in your own kitchen. If you took liquid from a can of chickpeas to make a replacement for egg whites, if you are thinking about what to do with your vegetable scraps or your upcoming turkey carcass and to make a nourishing broth or baking banana bread with brown bananas, like all of that is upcycling. What we're advancing is doing that at scale within the supply chain. That's amazing. And again, like I said, it just just makes sense. I there's probably a lot of kitchens around the world, especially in this country, that aren't making use of every little piece of their food in their house. In fact, I have some friends who literally refuse to eat any leftovers. <laughs> like they'll create this huge meal and fifty percent of it just goes in the trash and it makes me cry. I have a great cookbook recommendation for them. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is there one about like using it everything? Yeah, it's called The Everlasting Meal, and it is incredible. It's it's a super creative way to rethink your leftovers. Nice. That's cool. Well, there's those kind of people. We'll put a link to that book <laughs> in the show notes for them. And then there are some people who are at least a little bit better about it, right? Like I would say myself, where anything that I'm not using is at least getting composted or whatever. But whatever I can use, carrot tops or scraps to make broth or or whatever else I can think of, like banana bread, etc. I, I try to make use of it because I know there's a problem, but also I bought that food. <laughs> I want to use it, right? So, And I know a farmer grew it, and I know it got shipped across the country or, or maybe across the world. So like, why waste all those resources by just not using it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're really trying to help companies see the potential of that. And so some of the examples that your listeners might be aware of, I'm sure most people have heard or tasted beer in that process, there's a lot of grains that are left over. Those grains are really nutritious. They have a lot of protein in them, um, a lot of fiber. You can turn that into a flour. Same thing with plant-based milk, a lot of pulp left over, also very nutritious and can be turned into flours used in bakings, among other things. And so we see these sort of big volumes of these byproducts that we're just Literally, companies were paying for someone to take them away from them. And instead of paying someone to take them away, seeing the opportunity of that and like creating something new, which is really exciting. Yeah. And for those kind of newer to the subject and want a little more info, we have in the past had, I don't know, let's say at least five or so maybe episodes on different upcycling entrepreneurs and even this association in the past from with Turner Wyatt. But We'll put a list of past upcycled episodes in the show notes in case you want to dig a little deeper, one of which was Dan Kurzrock from Regrained, which does capture the the spent grain from the brewing process and turn it into nutritious food ingredients. So check that stuff out. But you know, let's go deeper into the problem. Like maybe people are out there being like, okay, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> a little bit of food goes to waste here or there. As long as we're composting it, it's probably fine, right? So can you talk about what the problem is and why and how the Upcycled Food Association was founded? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big problem. And so, you know, you might think that maybe, oh, I don't waste a lot of food. We're a really efficient food supply chain. We're not wasting. It's actually not what's happening. Shockingly, in the U.S. alone, where we waste nearly 40% of all the food that's produced. And that's from the farm level all the way into our own kitchens. And that represents about 8% of global greenhouse gases. So when you think about all of the fuel that went into producing that food, the cropland that was converted to produce that food, the water resources, the energy, all of that is being wasted when we waste food. And then when you think about sort of the volume and the nutrition, it equates to about 130 billion meals 
and about $408 billion of food that's thrown away. And we know that food insecurity is a problem in the U.S. And so theoretically, by capturing this wasted food, we can not only mitigate climate change, and it's been identified as one of the top ways to do that, but also close that meal gap. So you're capturing the waste of food, you're turning it something nutritious, and you're getting it to people who need it. And so when the Upcycle Food Association was founded, they were founded by companies who were doing this and they wanted to tackle this problem. And up to that point, they were kind of going at it alone. And, you know, they knew each other. They were all using maybe different verbiage to talk about it and recognize that to get the sort of broader public involved, they needed to build awareness around food waste problem, but also what upcycle food products are and the potential that they hold. So we were founded in 2019 by nine companies and organizations uh, that were already working in this space. They were witness to this, the food waste problem, and they saw the opportunity. They came together to really unify messaging, to define upcycle foods, to build a community around it, to share best practices, share knowledge. It does present some really unique challenges to source this sort of these wasted food streams. And then to really create systems and tools to like help guide sort of the, the growth of the industry and to also help consumers find these products. And so it's been really exciting to see that growth over the last four years. We just turned four. We you know nice. we started with Happy nine birthday. companies. Yeah, thank you. Nine companies to over 250 companies across 20 countries. So we've really built a really strong community and they're all it's so inspiring because it's everyone is really thinking differently. They're pushing just a shift in how we think about resource consumption. And it's really exciting to be part of. And, and we've had a lot of really cool achievements also in the last four years. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't have numbers or I don't know if there's even a way to tell, but I feel like the upcycled food movement has grown faster than a lot of other movements. Again, I'm not sure, but it just seems like it's taken off. And I just like to use like organic USDA organic as an example, where it's four decades or something in from the movement, what would it be like two or three decades in from like actual standards being set, et cetera. But there's still people out there who are like, what's organic? <laughs> what does organic mean? Right. Whereas not to say that everybody knows what upcycled food is, but like just five years or four years in now, there's growing movement. There's tons of companies jumping on board. There's when you do the research studies, a lot of consumers are interested in buying upcycled. Like it's it's taking off. And, you know, maybe there's the advantage of the internet. Maybe it's the advantage of like this collaborative approach to it. Who knows? But part of my hunch is that it just, again, it just makes sense. Like it, it's not a political divide kind of thing, like some other certifications like GMO or organic or something where it's like someone else has to be evil in order for me to be right. In this particular case, it's just like, yeah, this makes sense across the board. Like nobody's going to argue for saving money, saving food, feeding more people, <laughs> you know, like not wasting as much changing, like it's easy. Yeah. I mean, we have studies that show that 99% of people believe that food waste is an issue that, you know, should be solved. So it's a, a rare topic of consensus. And so I think that has definitely sort of propelled the movement. And then fortunately, but unfortunately, it's like we had this pandemic and that really laid bare a lot of the inefficiencies of the food system. We saw food being wasted. We saw trucks of milk being poured out. 
And we also saw the very long lines at food banks. And so I think just sort of the timing of the the founding of the organization and sort of that initial sort of sort of catalytic energy of the companies wanting to do this with those sort of bigger events also helped really propel the movement forward very quickly. And I can say as like being in the driver's seat for some of that time, it has grown very, very quickly. And and really, it's been really exciting to see sort of the momentum and just, just incredible innovations across the board, across every grocery category as well. Yeah, that's a good point about timing too, because I, I know there's a lot of companies that suffered <laughs> through the pandemic in really horrible ways, right? And there were some companies that just skyrocketed <laughs> through the pandemic. It just depended on what you're selling. And when all of a sudden culture shifts and everyone's at home all of a sudden and paying attention to like how much food they're consuming or how much waste is going out, like when you're at the office, maybe you're not paying attention to it because you're not personally taking the trash out or you're not personally taking the compost out. But when you put like all of your daily use in your own bins and those things become obvious or when all of a sudden everyone's globally at the same time afraid of their health or worried about their health, then everyone starts maybe thinking, hmm, I should probably eat a little healthier or maybe I should drink a little less alcohol or maybe whatever. So like people started cooking at home more. So companies that had core ingredients for cooking at home all of a sudden skyrocketed, whereas maybe convenience meals dropped a little bit because people weren't on the road as much. So the pandemic made a lot of stuff obvious, but yeah, it's a good point that I didn't think about that from a food waste perspective, but that totally makes sense. So like everything, sometimes it comes down to luck of timing, but <laughs> it's not like upcycled food planned a pandemic <laughs> for their marketing campaign, you know? <laughs> Definitely was not in the initial strategic plan at all. Uh- <laughs> Totally. And maybe, you know, you know, a little pat on our collective backs too of, of everyone involved in the process. But I think that it was a pretty good thorough process for creating the the standards and the marks and everything. You know, didn't waste years trying to come up with it, just like set a standard, get some feedback, move on, you know, refine the standard later with the marks for full transparency of listeners. My agency, Modern Species, was involved in the process of creating those marks. But like I know because of that that we went through some research process with different university or partners to test like what kind of marks might resonate with people and what would actually pique interest and make them want to learn more and so on and so forth. So there's like an efficient, but also thorough process to make sure that whatever came out, the standards, the mark, the movement, the kind of communication materials were going to move the needle. So I think it's been a smart process all along the way with the whole UFA team. So good work there. Yeah, well, we appreciate so much of your thoughtfulness, too, and like the creative thinking around what makes a, a recognizable mark. I mean, that's such an important piece and what, what works on products as well. Products have very little amount of space to really express what they're about. And so we wanted to make sure that that was, you know, we mostly got it right out of the gate and it would need little fine tunings as we evolved. Absolutely. And shout out to all the package designers out there who yes. have to suffer through some really <laughs> difficult to use certification logos. So that was part of the goal, as you point out, that we wanted to make it easy to use so that on application, on on packages, it's still legible and recognizable. So four years in, I think you said nine to, I can't remember, 400 and something companies, but that's a big accomplishment on its own. But is there anything else that you would say you're most proud of accomplishing to date? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. It's hard to choose just one. I mean, I obviously growing the community, which I think is so important as you're sort of socializing a new concept, a new category of food, essentially. But to your point of like, initially, we 
we had to define what upcycled food was. And so there is a very technical definition that sort of like governs a lot of this practice, like in the industry and then creating the certification. So we did get to it. We're like, okay, here's the definition. Now, how do we really steward that definition? And we did that through third-party certification, the upcycle certified standard. I would say like the last year, so I've been with the organization for almost two years now, stepped into the CEO role last fall. And since this past year for me, I have just been so proud of seeing Upcycled being featured in a lot of these sort of industry shows that companies are going to to get their products out there into stores, into consumer hands. And we've had two sort of pavilions that were just like dedicated to upcycling. And I think that speaks to the the power of the community, the diversity of products, sort of innovation there. And then we've also held a really cool innovation challenge with one of our retail partners to really like even just drive more product concepts. And so I think that sort of visibility, that sort of collaboration has been just really useful to ensure that there's like a good selection and we really are hitting every single aisle in the grocery store and these products are getting onto shelves so people can buy them. So I'm really proud of that. And none of that could have been possible, I think, without the community and without the definition and without the certification. That's great. Yeah. And that's a good note too about the pavilions at trade shows. Like I think it was the Expo West this year, maybe. I noticed there was a f- three movements that really stood out above others. And it was the upcycled, it was regenerative, and it was minority owned. And those three kind of subject matters all got like educational content, like buckets or big parties or aisles or pavilions or whatever at the trade show. And it was just really prominent. Like it was hard to miss those movements, right? If you're, as you're walking through the show and then really celebratory too of all the businesses with those different attributes. And it was just a great way to kind of continue the movements of those. And it was fun seeing upcycled as one of them. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I was extremely tired after their shows, but it was a good tired. It was like, a, we did it. For sure. So you started talking about the technical side of the certification. So let's talk about that. So how do how does a product become upcycled certified? Sure. So upcycle certified is third party certified, which means we work with a separate partner, a certifying body that audits against the upcycle certified standards. So that's just a way to ensure, you know, that the fox isn't watching the hen house, basically. So they're auditing against our standard. It's very rigorous audit of the supply chain. And what really what the standard is doing is governing our technical definition of upcycled food. And so that definition has three components. One is that the upcycled foods are using ingredients that would not have gone to human consumption, meaning that they were going into a waste destination, which could mean that they were never harvested before the product that's seeking certification was in existence, or that that waste stream was ending up in a landfill or compost or even animal feed. So that's the first requirement. The second requirement is that they're procured, produced using a supply chain that can be verified. So that's really where that sort of supply chain audit comes in. So they're looking for proof that you are diverting that wasted food into your product. And then the last requirement is that these products have a positive impact on the environment. And so 
at the moment that that can mean a variety of things depending upon the product. I could look, be looking at sort of reduced resource use based on water, alleviating pressure on cropland, reduced carbon emissions, also reduction of food waste into our landfills, which in the U.S., about 24% of all landfill waste is, is food. So those three things have to be proven to achieve certification. And, and that process is, is pretty rigorous. There's certainly a lot of questions that are asked and documentation that's provided to our certifying body. And then once those are verified, the product can achieve certification. The last is sort of the percentage of the product of the ingredients that need to be upcycle certified that meet those requirements. And that varies based on whether or not you're producing like an end product for a consumer or like the actual ingredient itself that would be going into that product. So that's also part of the process. So pretty rigorous. We've had a lot of really interesting products come through the certification. We're seeing growing awareness around that mark. And what we do is also try to help are the companies that achieve certification, you know, get out the announcements around their products, talk with retailers about how to activate around them as well. Very rigorous, like you said. And, but I think you explained it in a fairly simple way too. So thanks for doing that. A couple things that popped into my mind as you were talking about ingredients that wouldn't have gone to human consumption. And I was trying to just quickly remember where I saw this pyramid. I can't remember if it was the FDA, USDA, or someone. It was the EPA, their food hierarchy. EPA, there you go. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I I've thought that was an interesting way of explaining it. Because again, I've had conversations with people or, or heard some of the conversations online about, well, well, what's the deal with upcycle? Like, if it's just composted, isn't that great? Like, composting is great for the environment, right? But part of what you said is it wouldn't have gone to human consumption, but by upcycling, not just recycling, what we're talking about is moving it up the chain to its highest use. So if you have it fresh in your mind, can you explain that concept? Yeah. And actually this is very fresh in my mind because the EPA actually just launched updated version of that hierarchy. And it's actually less of a hierarchy now, and it's more of a spectrum. And we were excited to see this. It's based on a lot of research around sort of life cycle assessment, the carbon emissions of different food pathways, because it actually moved upcycling and donation up into the spectrum as some of the most preferred uses. And so when we think about food waste, you know, prevention is always number one. So like, do you have an efficient process for producing food? Do you have efficient sourcing mechanisms? You know, are you cultivating to sort of the market demand? So preventing is always sort of ideal. But then after that, you know, you are going to have byproducts, you are going to have surplus. And the EPA hierarchy has shown that those like upcycling and donation, upcycling in particular, the benefits of that outweighs benefits of like other sort of options such as compost or even using food waste for energy and, and certainly much better than going to the landfill. So it actually ranks very highly in terms of sort of like the preferred use of food that is produced. And so we want to make sure that companies are ready to take on this as a solution and have the tools and, and sort of the resources and the information that's needed to be able to like put this into operation. How can they source this product? How can they look at their supply chain and look for opportunities to, to bring these products to market? So that hierarchy definitely played a big role in sort of the creation of the standard as well. 
and just starting out as wanting to make sure that we did looking at the food insecurity issue, looking at climate, you know, we really felt strongly about ensuring that the food that we're keeping in the supply chain was going to humans directly, which is why, you know, we still kind of consider animal feed as sort of outside the scope of, a, you know, we still consider that a waste destination because it's just not optimal right now, given some of the other needs. Right. And it's, it's partly just because we've got so many hungry humans, right, that if we're going to grow all this food, we may as well feed the humans instead of having them starve and die. But it's also like there's different qualities of agricultural products that are grown for human consumption versus animal consumption, like the seafood chunks or the you know meat chunks or whatever that's in your cat or dog food isn't something you would have wanted to eat anyway, right? So if we're going to take the time to grow the higher quality stuff that humans are going to consume, we may as well keep it going towards humans instead of dropping it down the pyramid, so to speak. I guess it's more of a spectrum now, but instead of dropping it down into quote unquote lower use, because then we wouldn't have had to put all those resources into growing it if we wanted to give it to animals or just compost it. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point about upcycled food. It's like all of this food is perfectly edible. It meets all the same requirements that food safety requirements and testing requirements that's needed to put a product on the market. And so we want to keep edible food in an edible form so humans can eat it. Yeah, nice. And then another point you made is about positive impact on the environment. That one's probably a little more obvious, but I feel like there's some things that sneak up on us. And one of my favorite examples, which was actually a past episode of the show too, was Riff Coffee or Riff Coffee and then Riff Energy drinks. And they were using cascara from the coffee, which is the fruit around the coffee bean, in their process of making their energy drinks. And when he was going on about the problem there, it's that there's so much coffee being produced and typically the fruit's not being used. So it's just thrown into a pile in the environment. And you'd think, well, what's wrong with that? It's compost, whatever, it's nutrients. But it's thrown in such large quantities into concentrated areas that it actually ends up starting to become like bad for the environment, right? It starts to become like a a waste problem that's leaching chemicals and fermenting and doing all sorts of stuff that you don't necessarily want on that plot of land. It's not like it's being packaged up and dried and, you know, powdered and sent across the world. It's like just a giant pile of rotting fruit. So, so what they're doing is like capturing that fruit making good use of it because it is actually really good to use. It's just that the amount of coffee being produced way outweighs the current use of the cascara fruit. So companies like Riff are trying to solve that. Yeah. And it's also, it still has caffeine, right? Component to it. And another great example of what kind of similar is also in the chocolate sector. So cocoa pods, about 70% of the cocoa pod is wasted, the husk, the pulp, and actually you can capture that the husk is very nutritious, has a lot of fiber in it. You can capture the pulp for sugar. So we have some companies that actually produce like a fully upcycled chocolate, which I think is pretty cool. And in these areas of these commodities where we also know that there's child instances of child labor, we know that the smallholder farmers are extremely poor. These sources of what we call waste are actually like economic drivers for them. So it's like a new revenue stream to like help improve sort of like their own livelihoods. And I'm sure you're going to talk to Fairtrade about, you know, some of this as well. But we see 
sort of rethinking what was useful and some of uh, these common foods can actually be really beneficial for like economic livelihoods too. So those things get me excited, the riffs and and also just like rethinking what, what is edible, rethinking what is valuable, I think is a really exciting part of upcycling. Absolutely. We're doing a interview with Regenerative Organic Certified Slash Alliance as well. And I think that's part of that movement too, is is like one of our clients, Alter Eco, does regenerative agroforestry models with their cacao farms. And it's partly through regenerative models that are saving, having to put all those inputs in, but then the farmers are also planting all these other trees that maybe will give nutrients to the soil so the cacao grows better but then also they've got now banana trees or other things like that growing that now they've got this extra income source right so i think a lot of these problems where we're just solving for food waste also ends up becoming an economic benefit or a health benefit or whatever else same thing with regenerative and that's what i love about a lot of these better for the world movements is it's not singular like everything's interconnected and you fix one problem here it actually has a trickle effect to other problems that lifts everything up and if we kind of go one by one and fix all those problems then the whole system is renewed and recreated so just like the other ones this one's interconnected too yeah i love that and i something that i say a lot is it's wonderful to invest in organic and regenerative ag and even fair trade and we don't want that food to be wasted. There's so much effort and opportunity there. So how can we make sure that the outputs from that, from those efforts are really optimized? And I think upcycling is a is a great opportunity for that. Yeah, and that's part of why we're excited about this holiday gift guide or just gift guide in general, because we're realizing, you know, maybe you're going to give a gift for birthdays or anything else too. So we took the holiday out of it to make it year round, like just buy these gifts whenever you want. (laughs) But that's part of why we were partnering with these nine different kind of certifying groups is because they are interconnected and add value to each other, right? So a product that has one certification is great. A product that has five certifications is awesome, right? (laughs) Because it means they're just doing all the things and doing the work to get this one certification is actually probably going to benefit you and make the other certification easier. But anyway, with that said, roughly how many products are currently Upcycled certified and where can people go to find more information about Upcycled certification, find the products and support the movement? Yeah. So right now there are about a hundred different companies with Upcycled products and there's about 500 products that have achieved certification in the U.S. and the Canadian market. So pretty quick growth over the past two years that we've been in the market. And you can find upcycled products at pretty much every major retailer now. So whether you're online, so Amazon, or if you do grocery delivery, like through a Misfits market, but then your brick and mortar, Kroger has it, Whole Foods, Markets, Sprouts. So a lot of the large retailers carry upcycled products and you can find them in almost every aisle. So whether it's canned foods, jams or jellies, your energy bars, your baking aisle, even like your frozen meats and your frozen treats aisle, you can find upcycled foods and you can just look for the certification mark. And if you want to learn more, you can go to our website, www.upcyclefood.org. We have a product finder there so you can see which brands are have these products and you can go to their site and see where they're selling them or order directly from them. 
we also have more information about the certification and, and how you can support us. And, you know, that's, you could think about you know, if you want to volunteer, we always have some exciting initiatives going on and then obviously donate to, to support the movement as well. Love it. Thanks for that. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. Now let's transition into kind of a little celebratory movement. I know I said the gift guide is for all year round, but you know, we're coming up into the holiday season. So I thought I'd do a little holiday round of rapid questions. So let's get started. What's your favorite type of gift to receive? Okay, this one was, this is hard for me, but I I think I'm just going to have to say it's always, I love experiential gifts. So if anyone needs a hint, it's like a massage, it's going out to a dinner or like going for like a, some sort of tour or something. So I love those, those sorts of gifts more than just like a tangible thing. I love those too, but experiential gifts are so fun. I love that answer because I feel like most of us, at least in this country, have probably most of what we need and maybe even more than what we need in our houses, right? So like adding more to that isn't always the best thing from a sustainability standpoint. Like one one example is I remember at the 1% for the Planet Global Summit, Patagonia said that they they did this research study to see like if we want to like sustain our resources on this planet, how many articles of clothing should people be buying? And they said technically, it's like one or two articles of clothing per year is the most you should be buying and the rest you should be like fixing or keeping or whatever else. Obviously, most humans upcycling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or are buying a lot more than that, but so I like the experiential gifts in that you know, that's why we're alive is to have these experiences, but also like most people don't need a lot more things, but that's also why we put a lot of food type things in the guide too, is because those are kind of experiences, you know, it's not stuff you're going to have to keep around the house. It's stuff you get to experience. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. So what's your favorite holiday of the year? It just passed. So I'm a big, I'm a big Halloween person for a lot of different reasons. You know, I love sort of its origin stories sort of like ending, you know, marking the end of summer and the harvest and like beginning of the seasonal change in the winter. I like the remembrance part of it, you know, the people that we've lost. And, but I think maybe more on trend, but what we've been talking about, I also, I just love the creativity. It's definitely a holiday that pairs well with upcycling. You know, you just see so many handmade refashioned costumes and so just, I, I love seeing that creativity, that reimagining. It's like clever. There's like fantasy involved. Yeah. So I, I love Halloween. I love the candy too. It doesn't love me as much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's such a fun day. And this year we, I just, I love giving out candy also to folks that come by the house. And I'm always curious to see what people's costumes are. This makes me think we need to have a a special edition of the impact driven gift guide just for Halloween treats because so many of those treats are let's be honest, like you said, your your body doesn't love them or whatever. It's just full of sugar and crappy oils and other things that, you know, your body probably shouldn't be consuming. But there are better versions out there through the, you know, natural organic, functional food, all that kind of stuff. You might even have some upcycled products in there. So maybe that's, that would be a fun idea is like give people like, if you're going to do Halloween, maybe use this instead. Yeah, I will support it 100%. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So where do you like to go to shop for gifts? So I'm in the Bay Area. 
Um, and I'm a really big believer in like local economy. So there's local shops that I, I love going to, but I, I also really love to give people food as gifts. <laughs> big surprise there. And there's a spot in the Bay, in the East Bay, where I'm at called Market Hall Foods. And it's basically just extremely artisan specialty foods. Everything that you buy there like feels like a gift, you know, the from the packaging to its presentation to like its like exquisite flavors. So I really love to go there and meander and, you know, maybe get something for myself and get something for others as well. Nice. That sounds like a spot I need to put on my list next time I'm in the Bay Area. I'm a big food geek as well and also love giving gifts to myself and others when I find <laughs> yeah. a really cool shop that has unique foods. For those who want to give some food gifts but don't live near Market Hall, we've got plenty of food options in the guide that you can look at, one of which one of my favorite gifts to give is Lexington Bakes. He's based out of LA but makes just the most amazing cookies and brownies, like super indulgent like it'll it'll blow your gift recipient's mind and he uses lots of just really clean fair trade organic etc ingredients so check out the guide and look for Lex- lexington bakes good stuff okay if you could only give one gift to every person on your list what would it be this one is is a tough question to answer so I, I really try to match the gift to the personality so you know if i have a wish for everyone I think it would definitely just be sort of accessibility to to the things that they need to be happy and fulfilled. So if I'm going in that direction, if, you, if you, my more tangible answer is gifting someone like a never ending supply of their favorite food, obviously. <laughs> so, oh, <wow. laughs> so if I could set that up for them, maybe that they wouldn't want that because then they may not love it as much. But I like to feed other people. I like it. I just think food makes people happy in a different way. So I would definitely go in that direction for the more like material gift stuff. So we're talking about a million jam of the month club <laughs> memberships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So what does impact driven mean to you? Yeah. It's interesting because I was thinking about this question and like how like in our field, we often think about impact driven as just like inherently good and actually impact can also mean having negative impact. And so when I when I think about being impact driven, I think of it like twofold. One is first being aware of the impact that you're having. So whether it's positive or negative. And then secondly, is optimizing the good impact. So making intentional choices that minimize harm to the planet, minimize harm to the communities. And I think in that way, you are impact driven because you're assessing sort of, okay, what is the outcome of this action or this choice? And then but the positive spin on it, you know, optimizing the better of those choices. So, and that's why I love this work because I I think that the people who are drawn to it who are doing this are really aware and then really are trying to like think differently about how we interact with with our world. And so that's what it means to me. That's awesome. And there's a, I don't know if it's a full quote or not, but uh, one of the phrases that I've been liking a lot recently is this idea of impact over intention, by which I mean, There's tons of people out there who are like, well, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, but they don't do what you just said and actually observe and see what the actual impacts of their behaviors are. So whether that's on relationships or on the environment or whatever, it's like, well, I I think I'm doing the right thing by composting all this food waste instead of making broth or whatever, you know, like, and that's great. You think you're doing the right thing, but if you dig a little deeper, it's like, 
you know what? That was a lot of stuff that I just threw in the compost bin and compost isn't horrible, but there's a better use for it. I could have made a soup out of that or something, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's where I go back to my wish for others is like having that accessibility to like the tools or the resources or the support that you need to change those behaviors and have that more positive impact to better align yourself. So I think we're all bombarded with these choices and you always have to like figure out like what's going to make me feel great. And sometimes it just is a matter of like knowing a more effective way to do something. Totally. And that's why I like you say, starting with that being aware, because that is a first step and you're not going to be able to change everything. You're not going to be able to be the perfect human. You're not going to be able to solve all the problems and you're still going to have waste in your house and you're still going to like hurt people's feelings or you're still going to like, you're still going to have to use your car or, or fly on a plane instead of reducing your carbon. Like there's all these things that like, if we were to be perfectly in line with the planet, like we wouldn't be able to live our normal lives, but like observing that, knowing the impact, making conscious decisions and then improving where you can, you know, it's a progress over perfection, like rather than beating ourselves up, let's just be aware of it, find the things we can change, change those and the rest of it, just be aware of it so that if a solution pops up at some point to change it, then we can jump on it then. Yeah, 100% agree. Continuous improvement. Exactly. Yeah, that's why we at Modern Species like the idea of continual evolution and why we named ourselves Modern Species, because it's about that. It's about not getting stagnant, not thinking what we're doing is good enough, but just always looking to the future, always adapting to what we need to become to thrive. So I love that. Well, thanks again for carving out some time to come enlighten us a little bit more on upcycled foods and for, you know, honestly, just doing what you're doing. Because again, I'm a big fan of upcycling movement in general, not just in food, but in all products. But since I'm a food lover, especially in food. So thanks for helping kind of spearhead this and grow this movement and raise awareness and helping just kind of get more products out on those shelves through making it accessible and easy to follow and helping brands go through that process. So really appreciate what you're doing. And thanks for coming on the show and sharing a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for having this platform. It's so important. And it's just always a pleasure to talk with you and happy holidays to everyone. Happy gift giving. (laughs) Indeed. And we'll say give with intention, I guess, or give good gifts. I don't know. Give great, great gifts that do great good things. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My brain, my copywriting brain is just like burned right now. So (laughs) just go do some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Find find the impact guide. That's I'll just say it there. (laughs) Cool. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Upcycled Certification or to learn more about the Upcycled Food Association, visit upcycledfood.org. And to get your copy of the free gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. If you like this show, remember to help us grow by liking, reviewing, and sharing. If you're new here, don't forget we have over 100 episodes in the archive. Some might be called Evolve CPG, but it's the same show, so dig in for more goodness. If you consider yourself an impact-driven professional, join me over at impactdriven.community where we're supporting each other's growth as impact leaders.